symptoms, so maybe he has the flu. <laughs> it still exists. But he's shut down. Apparently. He does. <laughs> pulling for you greg because you're named greg mostly <laughs> i did i did not have similar sentiments towards josh Tolan. on the spring broadcast about how bo was a good two-strike hitter and then he immediately struck out but Welcome to episode number 230 of Artificial Turf Wars, where we're going to start singing O Canada before we go on air as well. I'm your host, Greg Wisniewski, and I am joined uh, by the extremely effective Joshua Housem. How are you doing, Josh? I like it. I like the, the double E's there. It's very a nice. Little, a little, a little, uh, no, a, <laughs> apparently a little alliteration did hurt someone and it was me. We are going to talk And today. our listeners. <laughs> we're going to talk about Charlie Montoya getting an extension. Uh, we're going to talk about Dexter Fowler uh, finally getting that contract that we've so long ago wished he would have. Uh, Santiago Espinal in camp uh, with a couple extra pounds and so much power, maybe. Uh, Nate Pearson feeling under the weather. Uh, Phelps looking good, feeling like he's on the roster. Greg Bird status up in the air we have your questions we have a do-over for me which you know I, I i i'm a participant like everyone else technically media not really and of course uh for our lovely narrative um that our hometown announcers tend to once they get a narrative they can tend to stick to it we would like them to give one of these up we'll tell you what it is in a few minutes but first charlie montoyo gonna be around i think we said last week there was no way he was getting fired didn't we yeah, we we said that uh, what was it? The, we put the over under at one hundred and sixty one point five games that you manage and took the over. <laughs> yeah, um, I I think that vote of confidence is probably to be expected. Like, I mean, nobody wants their manager to be thinking about if I if I do well this season, am I going to be am I going to get my my uh, my job back? So extending it through the end of twenty twenty three makes perfect sense to me. Yeah, you know, you just generally, especially when you're a contending club, you don't really want to enter the offseason or enter the season with your manager as a pending free agent. You know, so basically, if you you don't want to be in a situation where you do well, then oh, your manager's like, no, nah, I'm done. Sorry. See you guys. And then from yeah. the manager's perspective, you want him to have security. So it just made sense. And compared to the cost of releasing an expensive player, the cost of releasing a manager if things do not go well or something happens is minuscule. Yeah. Many, many, many managers have been released in the middle of a contract and no one ever cried that it ruined the team's finances. <laughs> no. And the thing is, this doesn't stop the team from firing him if things go wrong. It's a one-year extension with two club options on the back. That's not... That move is not going to change anything. If they want to keep Charlie Montoya as manager, they will. If they don't, they won't. It's just, it just gives everyone a little more security. And it reaffirms what we've always thought, which is Charlie Montoya is their guy. You know? Yeah. They, they like him as a person. They like him as a manager. Uh, they, he hasn't done anything to, to, you know, reduce their faith. And I mean, to win 91 games in that division last year, without playing at home says something about his ability to sort of keep keep a steady hand on the on the clubhouse i think I, and i think that he's a type of manager who 
probably is well more suited. Ugh, try that again. Better suited to a team that is like the Blue Jays, which is a very loose, fun-loving team, as opposed to you know there are some teams that are not like that. Think of those Atlanta Braves teams that just seem to hate fun you know, in, in the <laughs> mid 2010s. But uh, anyway, like he, he's still a, a tactical manager who will make you pull your hair out a little bit sometimes. He makes some really bizarre decisions. But you know, that, as we've said multiple times on this on this show and elsewhere, that's just a fraction of the manager's job. And apparently the club feels he's good at the rest. Yeah, and it's, of course, the most visible part of the manager's job. So it's what we all focus on. And I agree with you. He is tactically mystifying at times. I would rather have John Gibbons uh, you know, <laughs> managing my bullpen. But I got Charlie Montoyo. I will try not to get too super excited when he gives some some failing reliever about three miles too much rope. But um, That's not even my issue with him. It's the nonsense bunting with two strikes and not making obvious substitutions when they're obvious. And uh, Anyway, but... Um, and I, I think I've said this on the show before. I'm not sure, but Ross Atkins once actually specifically told me that he thinks that Montoyo is a draw for players coming into the organization, which is of value to the team. Yeah, and it doesn't look like they've had problems signing a free agent, right? In terms and he of, has been involved in the pitches. Yeah, so tis what it is. Um, I think that's enough Montoyo talk. Uh, in headlines you wanted to hear in 2016, Dexter Fowler has signed with the Blue Jays. <laughs> Jays always get their man. <laughs> uh, I think someone pointed that out on Twitter. Was it uh, Dave Arnold? Andrew Arnold. Andrew Arnold. Sorry, and Andrew Arnold pointed that out. Yeah. Um, I remember the buzz back in, I, I'm told it was 2016. I just remember it was 100 years ago in baseball terms that maybe Dexter Fowler would sign with the Jays. And then he ended up signing with, I think, the Cubs. Cardinals. Cardinals. And uh yeah, I is this a big deal? Does it does it change the outfield picture? I guess is the real question. Probably not. <laughs> so Fowler hasn't really been good for I don't know, since 2017. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, in 2019 and 2020, he was roughly league average, which okay. For, for if you're talking about a, a depth outfielder, that's actually a pretty useful player. But he's 36. So who knows if he still has that, but he's a, he's a switch hitter. He can play the outfield. I mean, he can, you really shouldn't put him in center field. He was never good there even when he was younger, but I guess if he's an absolute pinch, he could, he at least knows how to do it. <laughs> um, he, his guy has always done a good job of getting on base. So if, you know, if he shows that he still has something in the tank, He'll get a shot, I think. I, you know, I don't think he's going to be any have any chance at the opening day roster just because of when he signed. But if he ha if he has an out clause of like May first or May fifteenth, well, we might see him. I think his slugging was three sixty seven last year. <laughs> last year it was two fifty. Oh, two fifty slugging, and um, in twenty one at bats. <laughs> yeah, uh, I think a bunch of the the Angels player, uh, the Angels um, people on the subreddit were like, I genuinely forgot we signed him. Um, so it was a well, rough played 20, seven 2021, games. <laughs> yeah. But but to even even not even be upset that you forgot about the fact that he signed. So he was a non-factor last year, maybe slightly more of a factor this year. But hey, we could say, like you said, they they, they achieved their goal from five six years ago. Um, Santiago Espinal, who is obviously the uh, utility infielder here, 
of course, the announcers want us to believe that he's he's in the best shape of his life, I guess. I think we finally had our best shape of his life candidate for this year. Usually it happens much earlier in spring, but we, we had the whole strike thing going on. Yeah, but I don't think it's nonsense. So normally it is, but Espinal has put on 15 pounds of muscle, which when you're Santiago Espinal's size, that's a pretty significant <laughs> percentage of your body weight. And the one thing that has always held Espinal back as a prospect was his complete lack of power. He's, he's always been a very good contact hitter. He has a decent idea of the strike zone, and he's a very good defender. But he had no power. Two career home runs. And he's already got two this spring. And home runs are interesting, but to me, the, the, the more noteworthy point is that he already has matched his max exit velocity for his career just in this spring training. That's fascinating, mostly because they actually have exit velocity tracking in spring training now consistently enough to check that. Not all the parks, but he, in one of the ones he hit went 104.4 miles an hour, which is the hardest he's ever hit a ball as a, as a major leaguer. So if Santiago Espinal can be a 10 home run hitter, it's last year if he played a full season, he paced out to about four or five. If he can be a 10 home run hitter and he keeps some of the walk and, and strikeout rates that he had. I mean, his strikeout rate was 12%, which is insanely low. Even if that goes to 15%, if he can play his defense and take 8.8% walk rate with a little bit of pop, that's a regular player without question. Yeah, I, I think we always look for guys to do, you know, always look for guys to, to turn a corner. And then, of course, if we think they turn the corner, we look to be able to actually point to something. Like often with Randall Griffith, we would, we would look and we go, hmm, nothing's changed, and yet his results are better. Uh, so if this is, I mean, you're quantifying things that could be real uh, benefits to, uh, to the way he plays the game. So fingers crossed that that translates into real results that aren't in spring training. Yeah, I'm not making any assumptions here, obviously, right? Because, yeah, as you said, it's spring training. But an increase in strength generally should come with an increase in power. And, you know, there's some hope there. I guess is the best way to put it. Yeah, and if Santiago Espinal turns out to be exactly what he was last year, that's not a disaster either. Well, if he's exactly what he was last year, he's a great player, but yeah. that came with some extreme luck. Uh, his He hit three, what was his actual batting average? Uh, he hit 311. His expected batting average was 267. So there's regression there. <laughs> so hopefully it can be mitigated by more power. We shall see. Um, yeah. Uh, then we have Nate Pearson, who had symptoms of a cold, uh, a bad one, and was tested for it. Last time I, I read a, a note was tested for COVID and tested negative. But I don't know if there's been an update since then. Twice he's tested negative. So he's still not testing positive for COVID, but has COVID symptoms. So maybe he has the flu. <laughs> but it he's shut exists. down. He does. <laughs> uh, but he's, yeah, so he's he's down for the moment. And it's just a matter of whether he can get back healthy enough in time to get ramped up again for the season, which starts this week. <laughs> yeah, one week from the, the day we record this? No, day before. No. We're recording Saturday. So six, it starts on Friday. So six days from the day we record this. Um yeah, I mean, they had ramped him up to a starter's workload to go every fifth day. So 
uh, I think the assumption was maybe he starts in the minors anyway. So it's not the biggest blow in the world if Pearson doesn't break camp. I wasn't making that assumption. Um, I, I believe that they were ramping him and stripling up in case someone got hurt. Hmm. And then they would both go back into their long and multi-inning reliever roles in the Jays' bullpen to open the season. So I think they still want Pearson to be able to throw two innings. So if he comes back healthy on April 7th, then he probably can't break camp. He'll probably have to go to the minors and throw for a week or two before coming back up. But if he can come back, you know, if he's healthy, good to go by Monday, then they've got another game against the Orioles and... He can throw some some simulated games and probably be okay. Um, not to jinx it, because I am loathe to do that, but this has been a short spring, but we have not seen the, uh, you know, the kind of bad news uh, about injury, because that tends to be what happens is everybody shows up camp healthy, and then you find out who is, in fact, not so healthy, and, and something happened during camp. Other than Jordan Romano twisting his ankle, walking his dog, which is still nowhere near the Glen Island Hill levels of dumb. Um, there doesn't appear to be any serious injury troubles with this roster. Is that fair to say? Ryan Barucki is the only guy who tweaked his leg in the spring training game yesterday, Friday, I believe. Hmm. So he's questionable to start the season. And for him, I think it's it actually matters a lot because he needs to show that he is good in order to actually stay on the roster. He's out of options and he struggled last year and he, you know, he wasn't pitching that great in his three outings in the spring. So, you know, I, I think that he needs to get back healthy pretty fast in order to stay a Toronto blue Jay. And I know he's like the ninth reliever, 10th reliever, depending on how you look at it. So I don't think it's, really a huge issue if he's the guy you know that that's your worst injury thing i think that's probably okay i mean ask the mets how it can be going <laughs> how, how is it over there in mets land oh i'm sorry um yeah not not what you want because it's scherzer tweaked his groin and then Degrom has the hole out for four weeks minimum shut down completely yeah, shut for four down. weeks and then reassess <laughs> yeah uh, which Brandon McCarthy assures us isn't that bad, but Brandon McCarthy's not pitching anymore, so go figure. There you go. It's the same injury. That's why I'm saying Brandon McCarthy. He went on Twitter and he's like, yeah, that injury should be named for me. <laughs> Didn't uh, he, wasn't he injured forever? <laughs> yep. Yeah, that, McCar everything McCarthy tweets is a little tongue-in-cheek. Um, Phelps has officially had his contract selected for $1.75 million and is a Toronto Blue Jay again on the Major League roster. And I am very happy for him. I'm happy for the Blue Jays too, because I think he's excellent. Yeah, $1.75 million and then he can get, he has incentives that can double that essentially based on appearances. He's good. <laughs> yeah, he just needs to stick around for a full season and he most likely will be a very solid member of this bullpen. I. Yeah, I, I hated him when he played against us. I've liked him every time that he's I've seen him when he plays for us. It's, makes perfect yeah. sense. I mean, I, it's hard to expect him to be as good as he was in his brief pre-injury time last year where he had a 0 0.87 ERA and 15 strikeouts in 10 innings. But he throws strikes. 
that's sort of been what he started doing ever since he moved to the bullpen. Um, he has good strike swing and miss stuff with his cutter and his fast, the way he uses his, his different fastballs. And he's just a reliable reliever, which, you know, in the middle innings is something that Jays really were missing last year after he got hurt. So yeah, that, that was, I, I know he was fantastic. I don't expect him to be like world beatingly fantastic, but, but there, there, that gap of, okay, I don't know who to hand the ball to in the sixth and seventh, uh, seems to be something that Phelps would be extremely, uh, helpful with, uh, more often than not. So again, uh, I'd be happy to pay him for all of his incentives because they're all based on innings pitched. <laughs> yeah. If he earns them all, it means he's thrown well. <laughs> Uh, and then we have the one, one question mark that we've, didn't I say this was a foregone conclusion like two weeks ago and I've yet to be proven right that Greg Bird is still not, not had his, with the one 40 minute slot remaining has not had his contract selected. Yeah, I think that with Bird, they'll just wait. (laughs) (laughs) Well, I, I, so one of the interesting things about spring training that, Happens every year, but sort of doesn't really get mentioned that often, especially around Toronto, because they haven't had an opportunity to take advantage of this much. Take advantage of this much recently. Guys get cut, and I don't think the Blue Jays want to lock in that last forty-man roster spot until they know who the options are. The Angels cut Justin Upton in the last year of his contract, and he's owed twenty-four and a half million dollars, I think. 28, I think. 28? Um, or was it? Yeah, okay. Some other that's, figure. Yeah, the Jays aren't going to get him because he no. hits right-handed. No, I'm not saying they're going to get him. I'm just saying, like, anything is on the table at this point if, if a team feels a roster crunch one way or another. Yeah, exactly. So it just doesn't make sense to add a Greg Bird who, look, Greg Bird, if Nick was on the show, he'd be singing his praises, right? <laughs> but, <laughs> um, Greg Bird can be quite good. There's evidence that he has done it in the past, not the recent past necessarily. He had good minor league numbers, but it was a very hitter-friendly park. But you just don't commit to that guy until you don't have any other choice. Yeah. And, and yeah, I, I have nothing to add. Um, we're, we're pulling for you, Greg, because you're named Greg, mostly. <laughs> I, did, I did not have similar sentiments towards Josh Tolley. <laughs> just for the record it's not not the you were not never on the josh tolley hype train due to name <laughs> similarity okay I'll, I'll write that down somewhere <laughs> do, do you have any other camp notes that i've overlooked here um well so one thing it's just we we moved off pearson pretty quickly but he was his velocity it is he in his last outing where he pitched into was it two or three innings i can't remember but he was down in the 91, 92 mile an hour range in his last inning. He's done that before, even when he's healthy. And I've never really understood why. Where it seems like he just starts trying to pitch at a lower velocity to, I don't know. I don't, is it to throw Scary. more strikes, more longevity? I, I, stop doing it. <laughs> just throw hard. You throw really hard. It makes it harder to hit. Somebody said that, uh, I can't remember what the year was. I should have written. I should have saved that one. It was like in in it's like 1995 or 1996. The top fastball velocity was 94 and a half miles an hour, and um and last year it was 112th. 100 and what? 112th. 
Oh, that ranked 112. I thought you were saying yeah. last year was 112 miles an hour. No, no, uh, no. It was yeah. it was 112th on the list of pitchers with 94, 94 and a half miles an hour average fastball velocity. So, yeah, throw well, hard. It works. Everybody does. Oh, it's it. funny. I, I just I think we're gonna take I, just like you said, throw hard. But just I was, you know, when I was being scouted back in the early 2000s, you know, I was pretty fully grown. You know, when I was when I was 18, I was, you know. Six foot four, two hundred and ten pounds. Yeah, Josh is a looming presence for those of you who have not stood beside him. <laughs> <laughs> right. So, and I was touching ninety three miles an hour. That was hard back then. <laughs> now they'd be like, only ninety three. Like, who, who is this guy? Yeah, who taught you to throw a baseball? <laughs> <laughs> Start over. Oh man. <laughs> All right. Now, after that trip down memory lane, I think we should look forward. And uh, I'm looking forward and I see that we have a couple of questions. So one from the emails and some from the Twitter. And we'll be right back from them right after this. And we are back badder than ever. Actually, we're, we're probably just about as bad as we always were. Uh, yep. It is <laughs> it's changed. Time to answer your question. Time now to hear from our listeners. That just seems silly. Here are the rules. First I ask a question, then you ask a question. Now how does that sound, sweetheart? Could you repeat the question, please? And now that I'm done air drumming with the rest of you, um, we have a question from Todd Bartlett via email. It is, uh, hey, Josh and Greg, longtime listener, Patreon supporter here. Thank you very much for your support. Uh, really excited about this year, but I'm concerned about the bullpen. Romano, Richards, Yimmy, Phelps, if healthy, so far. Uh, and Simber, I have confidence in. And I really like Mesa, but I have concerns about him repeating last season. Do you think this bullpen is good enough to make a deep run into the playoffs? Why did the Jays not pursue a really good reliever earlier in free agency rather than pay a hefty price at the trade deadline? Thank you guys for all that you do. You're welcome. Thank you for listening. And Josh, would you like to take that question? Yeah. So, by the way, it's Jimmy, not Yimmy. We, we learned that this week. But uh, Garcia, that is. That was my one mispronunciation per podcast. We'll get to that later, though. <laughs> well, just a little teaser. But... I think that the Jays' bullpen is much deeper than it has been in the past. If you look at what they, what they had last year, there were points where it was Romano and then you just hoped the starter could go eight. <laughs> and then there was Romano and Meza, and then Chatwood was good for a week or two when there was no one else. But basically... You just listed, was it one, two, three, four guys you have confidence in, which did not include guys who have done very well in the bullpen recently in Tim Meza, Trevor Richards, Julian Merriweather, Nate Pearson. He listed Richards. Oh, he did? Oh, yeah. yeah. So then there was one, two, three, four, five guys you listed. I just counted wrong. <laughs> <laughs> So five guys that you have faith in is actually way better than you saw last year to begin with. And then three more guys in Mesa, Pearson, and Merriweather who have upside to be excellent. I think that's really good. And if you, and that and it sort of answers the question as to why. They probably did pursue the top of the relief market. You know, Rice Iglesias, I'm sure they looked in on that. He ended up signing for $40 million. 
even Kenley Jansen, but it just didn't make sense to me to add one of those middle type guys because it would have meant cutting one of these other players who can be just as good or better. I also don't think you really pay a premium at the deadline for relievers. I think you pay something, but you your needs are much clearer at that point if you even have one. And you're only paying for most often two months of that reliever, right? To a team that is probably not in the playoff picture. So if you're trying to get that closer because something happened to Jordan Romano and he, you know, is not healthy or is not the closer you thought he was. Um, I think you have a much better idea of the health of the player that you're getting. Um, and, and the price is only for a certain number of months to get you, you know, over that playoff hump. So it beats the heck out of paying $40 million for four or five years for a supposed closer who actually only closes for two of those. Yeah. I think that's actually the main point. In terms of a trade value premium, yeah, you probably do end up paying more in prospects for two months of a reliever than you would under normal circumstances, but it's not, it doesn't equal the cost you'd have to pay to sign one of those elite guys, which Greg just mentioned, where you have to commit to them for multiple years of huge money. And, and because relievers are so funky, it often doesn't work out. <laughs> I wish I could say it did, but it just never seems to because the sample size in any given year is small and an injury is so big to a reliever, right? Uh, in terms of how much time it takes out of their contract. Yep. So uh, that was question one. Uh, a question two is from Al at Ali Yelly Hart. Just how excited are you for this season? You want to go first? Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. I said, yeah, I do. <laughs> I want you to go. I want you to go first. I said, do you want to go first? No, I want you to go first. And I said, do you want? Oh my God. I am, okay, I am this excited, which is about as far apart as I can get my arms. Um, I probably have not been this stoked for a season since 2014, 2015, when it looked like the Jays had a bunch of ingredients and had made trades that made sense. Um, the amount of, the amount of, Energy they've invested in signing legitimate players in the primes of their careers is probably at an all-time high. No, it, it is at an all-time high. Yeah, I, I remember being really excited for the 2016 season. But, you know, they let Price walk out the door and replace him with Jay Happ, which turned out to be a really good move. But at the time, and I really liked Happ, and I wrote about it. There's there's evidence on the internet that I'm not saying this <laughs> retroactively. <laughs> but... It wasn't the same. I mean, this is a team that won 91 games last year and then added significantly at the deadline and then tried to maintain that level of talent or even increase it if you think of adding Jimmy Garcia. But tried to maintain and increase that where the young players are getting better as opposed to veterans that are what they are. So, yeah, I, I, I haven't been excited for a team. as I haven't been this excited since the early 90s. And I was a kid, so, you know, it's not the same. Yeah, I mean, you lose the Cy Young Award winner in Robbie Ray, and you bring in effectively, you know, Barrios and Gaussman. Um, and you, you know, you lose Marcus Semyon, you trade for Matt Chapman. You're like, no, you're not. You can't just get Marcus Semyon's all time best second baseman season ever back. But there are many, many previous rosters with the Blue Jays where it's just been like, well, that's gone. Don't know what we're going to do with that. This one yeah. is like, we're trying to do something to fill those gaps and we're spending money to do it. 
and look, I, I'm not a war is gospel kind of guy. Matt Chapman has put up better wins above replacement seasons than Semyon did last year with Oakland. So they did a good job. Yeah. I mean, they're, they, have, they have pointed all of the things in the direction that makes us happy. So we're, we're both excited. Um, Laser at Not Really Laser asks, will the Blue Jays be featured on Sunday Night Baseball this year or is the MLB going to continue to fail to market the team? No. And yes, <laughs> the MLB does not care about the 30 million advertising eyes they could potentially get in Canada. If that was like if everybody in Canada watched, which isn't true, but they, they don't care. There is no U.S. ad revenue money. They just don't count. So, yeah, yeah, it's it's not MLB that does it. It's also not the MLB, but I just have to throw that out there. It's just MLB. It's ESPN. Yeah. They own the rights and they put the teams on that they think will get them the most money. And Canada, there's no ESPN in Canada, so they don't care. Yeah. Um, so they will do it as a like they, they do not put these games out there for the good of the sport. Otherwise, you would not have seen the Yankees and Red Sox 450 times over the last five years. There are yeah. more interesting rivalries in baseball, but there are no bigger markets than LA and New York. Uh, Andrew Fiender at a Fiender 03. What's the one final acquisition you would make to make the team stronger that isn't named Jose Ramirez? I don't know how to answer a question like this because it involves knowing who's available. If, if, if Michael Conforto was eligible, if you know, he's vaccinated and all that, the answer would hundred percent be Michael Conforto, but I don't know who it is, but I wanted to take this a little different direction because I do think that the Jays' depth, it's a little shaky. <laughs> Biggio and Espinal, one of those two is a backup infielder. Greg Bird, who hasn't been any good in six years, and Reese McGuire. That's the bench right now. <laughs> so... There's all, all those guys, well, not Reese McGuire, but the other two guys could be good. And they have potential. Oh, and Rymel Tapia, I forgot about him. Same thing. Not a very good player. A little better track record than the other two guys, but could be good, but also could be quite bad. So it would be nice if they could get a more established bench type player. Like if they'd be, been able to bring, bring in a Brad Miller or something, who's never going to be a great player, but you know he's not going to be a bad player. I'd love to see someone like that brought in, but I don't know who that would be. I I think you're right because it's always the old, you're one injury away from what question, right? You're, okay, you're a Teoscar Hernandez injury away from Ryan Altapia every day in right field. And is that what you want? Is that the, <laughs> that's a problem, I think. Because then who is, who is your fifth outfielder? Um, you're one, I it's mean. It's probably Biggio, actually. Okay, that's still not ideal. Like, you know what? I, I no, think. no, no, I agree. We're saying the same thing. Yeah. So, yeah, I, I think you could you could use a little bit more. And then and then the, the other guy is, is in AAA waiting to step into that role. So, yeah, uh, it would not hurt to get a steadier hand. Uh, but there's a limited number of people available as well. Not like it's a question of money. And that might be why the Jays are waiting to see if someone who fits a need gets cut. Yeah, exactly. 
And then the last question, I believe, is from Kevin at Kevin Chase 4 I'm taking my girlfriend to her first baseball game this Saturday. What part of going to the Jays game should we not miss? Jeez. Mm. Uh, so the hot dogs outside gate 10, 11. Yeah, I think we've established. <laughs> yeah, I got to say it every time. They're really, really good. And they're, they're not that expensive. And the line is always smaller at that one. I don't know why. If I keep saying it on this podcast, maybe it won't be. But <laughs> uh, Whoops. In terms of what, to, what should you not miss, if it's a Saturday game, I, I don't know, really. If it was the if it was Friday's game, I'd say make sure you're there for the festivities for opening day. But Saturday, just be there for first pitch and the rest of it, just enjoy it. You know, do what you feel like doing is my answer. There's not really any – the Jays don't really have much in the way of, you know, side things that are must-do when you're at the game. Uh, they might do that when they do the renovations to the concourse, but as of now, they don't. I mean, I guess if you want to go up to the flight deck to meet some Blue Jays fans that you know, I'm sure there'll be some there, but that's the only thing I can think of. Um, I also had a, a climbing suggestion, which would be if your seats are not in the 500 level, go up to the 500 level just to see how ridiculous the view from home plate is. Because <laughs> for my Make money, sure you I, haven't eaten a lot before you try yeah, to do that, though. I get vertigo just looking down. <laughs> At the pitch of the seats in the 500 level at Oak Plate. It takes a little bit of getting used to, uh, but it is a, a cool way to watch the ball come off the bat if you're there early enough for the uh, visitor batting practice. It is kind of funky. And uh, Kevin, just um, DM me with uh, if you listen to this before Saturday, which I assume you will, and let me know where you're sitting, and then I can actually maybe give you some more specific things around those seats and and uh, and let you know what what, what you guys should do. Josh doing community service. I like baseball games. <laughs> yeah, yeah. I can't blame you. All right. So now we go to the part where I have to admit that I am now the subject of a very meta do-over. <laughs> All right. What would I do different? Well, well, I've never actually made a mistake. There have been a few, let's call them stananks. That could be worthy of a do-over. Okay. In my defense, <laughs> Nathan Lucas's name is spelled L-U-K-E-S. And you did not correct me because I don't think you knew. No, I definitely didn't. And uh, <laughs> the Yankees broadcast was calling him Luke's as well. Uh, in my... In, in, in the indicting amount of evidence against me is the tweet chain that I was specifically referencing last week for Nathan Lucas uh, included the pronunciation of his name if I had bothered to open all of his responses to the tweet. <laughs> okay, you burned the two over then. <laughs> Alas. <laughs> uh, so, apologies to Nathan Lucas, who uh, probably is not going to make this team but has certainly had a spring training worth talking about, I guess. The yeah, man's... he's actually played really well. Yeah. <laughs> if he on. sticks around, I don't know if he's going to be as an opt-out in his contract because those don't get reported. But if he sticks around, he could be interesting depth. Yeah. Uh, and he uh, maybe we could just keep bothering him on Twitter until he comes on the podcast. Who knows? Now that I've pronounced his name correctly and apologize, I am sorry, Mr. Lucas, for uh, not catching on. Um, maybe we'll, we'll get, you know, some play. Then there's another do-over. 
for our favorite set of broadcasters, although I don't think it's limited to, to Buck and Tabby. Bo Bichette, two-strike hitter. I don't know where this got started, but it's been brought up numerous times over the last year and a bit on the broadcast, and it brought, got brought up today on Saturday on the spring broadcast about how Bo was a good two-strike hitter and then he immediately struck out. But... <laughs> I just don't get where it comes from. So he's got last year with two strikes, he hit 195 with a 223 on base and a 260 slugging. Okay. Two strike hitter, good with two strikes could just mean relative to other hitters with two strikes, right? Because no one hits well with two strikes. Mm -hmm. He doesn't. By SOPS plus, which is his numbers in that split compared to the league average, he has an 87, which means he was 87% of the league average with two strikes. By WRC plus, the average was two, was a 45 WRC plus with two strikes. Last year, his was 26, and his career is 39. He's not good with two strikes. Let's stop saying that he is. I think the only thing that they are focusing on is he often chokes up with two strikes. Well, he doesn't choke up. He just stops his leg kick. He does this little yeah. toe twist thing. And, it and he work. fouls. Yeah, he fouls off a lot of balls with two strikes. So maybe that's why they think he's a good two-strike hitter. So the reason that this bothers me a little bit, aside from the fact that just they're spouting things that are wrong on the broadcast, but there's so many things they spout that are wrong on the broadcast. <laughs> <laughs> it's that he's such a good player. He's such a good hitter. You don't need to praise him for things he's not good at. Does that remind you of another shortstop from recent era? Maybe a Yankees one. Mm, uh, that we would think was a Blue Jay player from the way they treat him on the broadcast? Yes. Yeah, exactly. You just, you don't need to be over effusive in praise for people all the time. You can criticize when they're not great at something or just don't praise them for being good at something they're bad at. I'd settle for that. I don't think you're being retupectful of their long broadcast career. Um, yeah. So the do-over. Tell it like it is. It's okay. There's lots of good things to talk about. Or just don't say it at all. <laughs> no, I, like, they just, have to say things. Things get said. <laughs> just comment on how he did a good job fouling a pitch off or something like that and just leave the comment there. That's, that's the job. That's the duo. All right. I turn to you, my friend, in, in our time of need to ask for your final thought. Yeah. Um, so this will be our last regular podcast before the season starts because we're going to do our 26 and 52 or 28 and 56. Uh, we haven't decided that yet <laughs> this coming so week. Yeah. Uh, so I think it's my last real chance to say that I'm really excited. I, I, you know, I know it came up in the question, but I'll be there Friday, Saturday and Sunday because I just missed watching good baseball and this team, the way they've looked in spring, you know, it looks fine, but just the roster just makes me think it's going to be good baseball. And I just wanted to say that. Awesome. Um, I'm, I'm, I'm signing back up for Sportsnet, and the wife is going to be watching this season, so they better be good. Uh, my final thought is that uh, the umpires are going to explain replay rulings in the stadium this season is a thing I read, and I hope it's true. Because I can't I think see any reason not to do that. So, Joe West is suddenly really upset that he retired. <laughs> but, I mean, 
the only reason not to do it. <laughs> it's like there's certain there's certain umpires that are they enjoy the spotlight a little too much, shall we say? And they might try to make themselves a bit of a show. show another way of putting it with these things, but in general, letting people know what's going on is a good thing. Yeah, no monologuing. Uh, but please give us give us the actual ruling from New York. Just I hope people understand that when they're booing the umpire who announces whatever it is, they're not booing him. They're booing someone at a video screen in New York has, who has told him what the ruling is. He's another umpire, so it's a proxy boo. Yeah, proxy boo. <laughs> proxy boos from here until it's turned. <laughs> All right. Uh, which is to say uh, that you have been Joshua Housem at Joshua Housem, and I have been Greg Wisniewski at Coolhead 2010, and this has been episode number 230 of Artificial Turf Wars, and we will talk at you with our roster rundown next week. Mm-hmm.